Amen. All right, you guys will need Bibles. Did everybody bring your Bible? Did everybody bring a Bible? All right, so I have taken the Bibles out. If you don't have a Bible, please start bringing them. You'll also need study guides that will be on either side. You can get study guides on either side of the table. Um, it will help you as you navigate through our study this evening. So we are continuing on in our look at the life of Martin Luther. Now let me say this, I didn't say this last week, but let me make it clear, there is a difference between Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. lived in America, Martin Luther lived in Germany, alright? Martin Luther King Jr. lived in the 20th century, Martin Luther lived in the 16th century, all right? So, understand there is a difference between the two. The guy that you see up on the screen right now, minus the sunglasses, that is a picture of Martin Luther. Here's the interesting thing about Martin Luther, okay? Uh, or, or at least one interesting thing about him. Of all of the books ever written about historical figures, of all of the historical figures written about in all of time, the number one person who's been written about, who do you think it is? Jesus. It's not Martin Luther, it is, it's Jesus. Jesus is the number one person that's been written about more than any other person in all of history. Do you know who comes in second place? Nope, Martin Luther. Martin Luther is number two. Did you say Santa Claus? Did you try and say Santa Claus through pizza in your mouth? That's a double offense, all right? Not only did you say Santa Claus, but then you said it like this, Santa Claus, all right? See, and that's worse. That's worse than just the normal error that you fall into. That's pizza-flavored error. <laughs> a double negative is a positive note. A double negative is always a Logan. That's how it always works, all right? That's how it always works, all right? So you will need your Bibles. Last week, just to recap, we talked about how if the church started telling you something that was wrong, if they started telling you to do things that were against the Bible, or if they started do, telling you to believe things that weren't in the Scripture, what would your response be? And we took just a little bit of time for you guys to answer that question on your study guide, and I got answers from you after you had taken just a moment to think about it. After last week's lesson... I'm interested to know that, or ask that question again, and to know if y'all have any different answers. If, let's just use me as an example, since I'm the one standing up here, and since I'm the one who's uh, in the microphone right now, and since I'm the one who's teaching, if I were going to tell you something, if I told you to do something that was wrong, that was against the Bible, if I told you to believe something that wasn't in Scripture, what would your response be and what would your um, responsibility be? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so wait till after. Don't maybe cause a disturbance right then and there, but come up and, and ask me afterward, hey, where was that in the Bible? I'm just concerned. What else did, uh, yeah. So tell them that they're weird. And then what was the second part? I didn't understand that. Do your own research. Yes, you should absolutely do your own research. Absolutely. Let me ask this though. How would you know it wasn't in the Bible if you had not done your own research to begin with? Ah, you wouldn't know. Casey, were you did you ever hear it? Okay, yeah. So I've been in, in um, I've been in a couple of, of scenarios where things like that have, have happened. One of them was with Pastor Brian Branham of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Um, I was uh, it was at the church that I was at uh, and employed at before I came here, and he was standing up in uh, it was uh, I believe it was a Sunday night. 
and he's teaching, and I forget what passage he was teaching through, but he gets to the doctrine of God, and he starts talking, and he says, he says, you need to know things about God. God has, uh, he has feelings, not in the way we have feelings, but he has feelings. It says that he feels and understands love, that he feels anger and wrath, and he ex executes the things. He says he has thoughts, and he used the word thoughts. But if you know Brian Branham, Pastor Rich Crash Baptist Church, he talks like this. And so when he said thoughts, he said, he has thoughts. And, and all of a sudden, one of the old ladies out there didn't think he said thoughts. She thought he said faults immediately. And this old lady, I mean, I, mean, you, I, mean, I was sitting a few rows back, and she immediately just starts fidgeting and looking around. Like, did anybody else catch that? And then... She raises her hand. I mean, it was immediate. She raised her hand. Did you say he has faults? And Brian had already moved on from that point. And Brian goes, no. I'm not going to do his voice. Says, no, I don't know what I said that made you think I said he has faults, but he does not. And other people around said, no, no, he said faults, not faults. And she goes, Oh, and he goes, and Brian hears that and he goes, yeah, thoughts. God has thoughts, not faults. And he made sure to clarify it right then and there. Now, let me ask that. Let me ask this question. If I had stood up in front of you, and if I had said, now, it wasn't like a mistake. Like if I had said God has faults, is that something that you stand up for at that point and immediately say, whoa, wait, did I hear that right? Is that something where you say, we got to pause what just happened there? Is that something that you stop in the middle of and do it? I think something like that is a yes. You ask for immediate clarification. And if the guy doesn't back down from something like that, you got to say, hey, I, I'm going to excuse myself. And you get up and walk out. Understand getting up and walking out does something here. Because we can go to other churches here. There are other options here. Now, I don't want anyone to get up and walk out and go to other options because I like all of you being here, all right? But I promise you I'm not going to ever intentionally say something that's against Scripture or against the Bible. The thing is, there are times when even someone from the church can say something that you've got to say, whoa, hold on, stop. We need to break this down. One such example, and I've got to really move on from this, but one such example was a guy named Justin Peters. And Justin Peters, um, Justin Peters has, God, what's, what is it that he has? Cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy. I could not think of it. He has cerebral palsy. He can't, he can't walk without the aid of crutches. And uh, he goes to hear different preachers. And um, at one crusade that he went to, he went to a guy who stood up and he was telling people that he can heal them. And Justin Peters, who noticeably has afflictions, starts trying to go up there almost to challenge the guy, you don't have the power to heal me. And he has an obvious affliction and they won't let him go up there. But he went up, took him from immediately. Another scenario, there was a guy who got up and he was telling everyone in the congregation that if you believe the words I'm saying, you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity. You're going to have money. You're going to have a good job. You're going to have a good life. You're going to have health. All these sorts of things. If you just believe my message and a guy goes up there and I, it's, it's on YouTube. You can go up there and look at it. He, takes, he goes up to him and he says, I'd like to say a word to everyone out there. And this guy says, yeah, say a word. And he says, who are you? He said, I'm so-and-so. I'm a youth pastor with that group right there. We brought up... We, brought our group to hear you speak. And he says, man, say your word. And he puts the microphone in his face. And the youth pastor gets up and he says, I want everyone to know that there is a gospel truth that is centered around Jesus Christ. And then there are gospel messages that are centered around humans. And he said, and what you've just heard is a message that's centered around humans. And the guy actually goes, he, he, he says, wait, what? He goes, he, he, says, he, goes, he goes, wait, what? Who are you talking about? He says, and the guy, he puts it back in his face like an idiot. Puts the microphone back in his face. He says, you. <laughs> and then like he goes, ah, I'm not giving you my blessing today. Thank you very much. You can go have a seat. You can go watch that one on YouTube. 
There are times when even people in the church say something, and if it doesn't line up with this, you've got to immediately say, no, 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 we've got to come back to the gospel. Shut up. Rebuke him, everybody. Kick him out. He doesn't even have a mustache to blame that sneeze on. (laughs) All right. Martin Luther lived in such a time when the church was teaching things that needed to be confronted. The problem was last week we talked about when people tried to confront the church about things that were going wrong, the church did not play nice. In fact, last week we talked about how... You guys remember what we talked about? What, what did they say existed that you went to before you went to heaven? Purgatory. What, what is Purgatory. Like you're there now? Yeah, when you die, you go to purgatory. And what happens there? Your sins, all of the, the stuff that's wrong gets burned off of you for hundreds, even thousands of years. And then after you spend time in purgatory, then you're allowed to go into heaven. That's not in the Bible. And we looked up verses to see if it was in the Bible. It wasn't. So purgatory, they held a lot of power over purgatory. They found out that purgatory was a great big money maker. They said, there are people in purgatory right now, and you can actually help them out. What was one of the ways they said you could help them out? Yeah. You could buy an indulgence. An indulgence was a sheet of paper that had nice uh, church words written in it in the Latin language, sealed up real nice. They said, if you buy this piece of paper for $100, then you might get... Ten years knocked off the sentence of some loved one in purgatory. And the church was making money hand over fist with indulgences. Not only that, there were relics. If you went and prayed before a relic, you could have time taken off of someone in purgatory. Or even you could have some of your sins get gotten off of you here on earth. All kinds of stuff like that. How did people not stand up right then and there and say, stop, whoa, something's wrong? Why didn't they stand up? Yeah, because the Bible was in Latin. It was actually in Latin only in the church. Could you have your own personal Bible? No. And if you did have your own personal Bible, you couldn't get it in your own language. So nobody knew that these things weren't in the Bible. Nobody could stand up and say to the church, no, that's not in the Scripture. Jan Hus tried to. Jan Hus knew the Bible. You guys remember what happened to Jan Hus, though? He was burned at the stake. He was killed for saying those things were not in the Bible. In fact, you need to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. That was going on at the church. The church had him killed. Right before he was killed, legend has it that while he was being burned at the stake, he says, my goose is cooked, but a hundred years from now a swan will rise and you won't be able to boil or roast him. That was in the year 1415. Fast forward about 95 years. You've got this brilliant, young German man who's studying to be a lawyer. This guy's brilliant. This guy is incredibly smart. Because he's studying to be a lawyer, he has to be educated. He does start learning the Latin language. He is excelling at a rapid pace inside of his studies to be a lawyer. This student's name is Martin Luther. He's in Germany. He wasn't an American. He's in Germany. And one day, this is the 1500s, one day, this young law student is riding to his classes on a horse. And you can go back and you can read. Luther writes a lot of his stuff about what happened in his life. And let me tell you guys, if you ever read a book about Luther's life, and you'll get a sense of it tonight, it reads like, like a spy novel or like a thriller novel. It's unbelievable the life that God took him through, that he lived for the sake of the gospel. One day while he's riding to class, a storm starts to come out. And this storm 
He can see it off in the distance, so you know what he does? He starts trying to ride a little faster because he doesn't want to be caught in the rain. Well, he doesn't make it. It starts raining on him. So he starts riding a little faster, trying to get out of the rain. That rain starts turning into thunder and lightning. So he starts trying to go faster, getting out of the storm. It starts becoming a torrential thunderstorm. Flashes of lightning are striking everywhere. And Luther's account, one flash of lightning strikes a tree that was right beside him while he's on the horse. And he is flung from the horse onto the ground by the force of the blow. Now, here's what's going through Luther's mind. Here's what's going through Luther's mind. The only time I've ever seen or heard about a storm coming after somebody was when God sent the storm. And so what he's sitting there and thinking right there is that God has sent this storm after me and that lightning bolt was meant for me And so he's scared, he's terrified, he's on the ground, he's soaking wet, he's muddy, and he actually, on the ground, and this is kind of a paraphrase, but he says, don't kill me, God! Actually, he calls out to a saint, Saint Anna, because Saint Anna was the saint over the miners, and his father was a miner, not M-I-N-O-R, M-I-N-E-R. Don't kill me, God! Saint Anna, help! He says, if you let me live, I'll become a monk. I'll stop studying to be a lawyer and I'll become a monk. And so he lives. And so guess what he does? He becomes a monk. He goes and he joins a monastery. His dad doesn't like it because monks don't make money. He was going to make plenty of it as a lawyer. But he goes into a monastery. He becomes a monk. But he's still got this mindset, this fear in his head that God is out to get me. That God is angry with me. That God wants me dead. And so Luther thinks, I've got sin in my life, and he did. I've got sin in my life. I've got to deal with my sin. I've got to get rid of my sin. So, do you know what the church taught for those monks, for a monk who was in a monastery, who lived apart from worldly things? Monasteries used to teach how you could deal with your sin, how you get rid of it. Do you know what Luther believed he could do to get rid of his sin before salvation how did Martin Luther deal, try to deal with his sin? Do you know how? I'm going to talk about three things. Yeah, go for it, Casey. Yeah. What were you going to say? You were going to say that? There's three things I'll mention real quickly. So the first one, before salvation, how did Martin Luther try to deal with his sin? Beatings, prayers, and suffering. Literally, he would take rods and he would try to beat the sin out of himself. Now, let me ask this to the parents in the room. All the parents in this room have children. All the parents in this room have seen their children struggle with sin. Let me ask this. Did your children receive spankings sometimes for the sins that they did? Yeah? Did you, did you beat the sin out of them? You might have given it a really good try, but you can't do it. You cannot beat the sin out of anyone else, and you cannot beat the sin out of yourself. He would, I mean, he would rip himself, bruise himself, trying to get the sin out of him. Again, because of the teaching of the church. Prayers, and you think, well, okay, prayers, that's, that's okay, but not, not the kind of prayers that, that you think of. Not a prayer like where you're talking to God and to where you are. It's not a prayer like what you're thinking of. Prayers in this mind would be ones where you go to a very special place, you kneel down at a very special altar, at a very special 
uh, in a very special way, and you get down on your knees and you pray. But Luther would pray for hours. Have you guys ever been on your knees for like a few minutes, and all of a sudden, after just those few minutes, you start feeling like, man, my knees are starting to get uncomfortable. Have you ever felt that? He would stay there for hours, trying to cause pain, trying to get rid of sin. He also tried different sufferings. There's a story about Luther in the middle of a German winter where, and by the way, German winters are very different from winters here in Alabama, just so you know. All right? German winters are actually, like, cold, and, like, they'll kill you cold, okay? He decided that he was such a sinful person, he did not deserve even the comforts that were offered to him in the monastery. He didn't deserve his bed. He didn't deserve his blankets or pillow. So he decided one night, I'm going to go and I'm going to sleep outside of the monastery, out in the bitter cold of this German winter. And that's what he did. He went to go sleep outside the monastery, and Luther would have died that night. In fact, he passed out from the cold if the rest of the monks had not gone out there and grabbed him and dragged his body back in. He would have died that night. Let me ask you this. Will any of those three things ever truly deal with sin? No. They never will. Never. No matter how much you mean them, or no matter how much you hit yourself, or how fancy your prayers are, how long you stay on your knees, or how much you try and stay away from good gifts that God gives. But like I told you, he was brilliant, right? This guy was brilliant. He had all kinds of issues, but he was so smart. And so the monks who lived with him, they said, listen, you're too intelligent to just be sitting here and just day after day beating yourself and praying for hours and hours. You really need to be teaching because you're so smart. And so what they did, now listen to this, this is vital. This is crucial. What they did at that point, they pulled Martin in, they said, Martin, here. And they gave him a Bible. They said, take this Bible, study it to teach it. Guys, that is crucial. You need to understand that if that step doesn't happen, if this step doesn't happen, nothing else that's about to come goes down. They hand him a Bible and they say, study it, learn it, and teach it. And so that's exactly what he does. Luther because he's a brilliant student, because he's a brilliant man, he dives into the Scripture. He knows the Latin language because he was studying to be a lawyer, so he already has a jump start immediately. He dives in with everything he's got. Just like he jumped into beating himself or praying for hours or trying to suffer, man, he looks at this as, I've got to do my very best. And he starts becoming one of the most favored teachers in all of the area. Because there is nobody who matches the amount of study that he does in the Bible. And so he's gone through uh, Psalms, and he's gone through, through Proverbs, and he goes to the book of Galatians, and then he decides, I'm going to teach the book of Romans. And so he jumps into the book of Romans, again, with fierce tenacity, and with all kinds of concentration, and with all kinds of, of an understanding that I've got to do right with what's here on the pages. And he jumps into it. And listen, while studying the book of Romans, Luther came to understand the gospel for the first time. He comes to understand the true gospel. Not what the church had been teaching, but the actual gospel of Jesus Christ. And So what is it? What did he learn while studying Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we looked at these verses last week. I want you to open up your Bible if you've got them. If you don't have a Bible, please bring a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible to bring with you, let me know. I'll give you a Bible. I'll, I'll get it to you. It'll be a good one. I'll give you a good Bible if you don't have one. But understand, guys, we need to start, we need to start thinking of the Bible as a gift, as a treasure, 
So while studying the book of Romans, he's in the first chapter of Romans and he gets to verses 16 and 17. Let me read verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, now here it is, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And all of a sudden, something awakens in Luther's mind. And I love the way R.C. Sproul wrote this down. So number two, while studying the book of Romans, Luther came to understand the gospel. What did Luther learn while studying Romans 1, 16 or 17 I love the way R.C. Sproul put this. He said, God, Luther understood this, God in His grace makes available a righteousness for those who would receive it passively. It is not achieved actively. In other words, He couldn't do enough beatings he couldn't do enough prayers. He couldn't do enough suffering. He couldn't do enough study. He couldn't do enough anything to get righteousness, to have his sin removed. He couldn't do enough of anything. Rather, he understood finally that God, because God is gracious, God makes available a righteousness for those who would receive it. That's a passive thing, to receive it. Not to do it, but to receive it. God in His grace makes available a righteousness for those who would receive it passively. It's not achieved actively. Do you guys see the difference? Do you guys see the difference? Let me kind of pull it out for you. Let me kind of draw it out for you. Luther all of a sudden realized my beatings have meant nothing my prayers for hours have meant nothing. My suffering has meant nothing. The only thing that means something towards my salvation, the only thing that means something towards my righteousness is the gospel. The only thing that means something about making me right before God is the gospel. I can't do it. God has to do it for me. And Luther realizes that for the first time. And he says in later writings that he didn't need to read another book. He didn't need to read another sentence. Because right then and there, he knew that salvation was by God and God alone. And that only through God could he have a righteousness that overcomes even his sin? Do you guys see the difference? And he talks about a justification. Do you guys know what justification is? Let me make it real simple for you. There's a way to remember that's very childish. They say justified means just if I'd never sinned, but that's not all that there is to it. It's a helpful starting point, but it's not the end of the story. Here's what justification means, or to be justified means this. It means you're guilty, but you're declared innocent. Not because of something you've done, but you've been declared innocent because of what someone else has done on your behalf. So you're guilty, but if you're justified, you're declared innocent. Not because of what you've done, but because of what someone else has done. Do you guys get that? So to be justified means you're guilty, but you're declared innocent, not based upon what you've done, what someone else has done. So a simple way to put down what he realized there is justification is by faith. And all of a sudden, Luther starts reading the Bible, he keeps pouring through the book of Romans and he starts seeing it everywhere. We're justified by faith. We're declared innocent by faith. We are declared not guilty by faith. It's not through beatings or suffering. It's not through prayers. It's not through eating the right thing or, or, or praying the right words. 
It's not by anything like that. We are justified by faith. We are declared innocent by faith. We're declared righteous by faith. We're declared not guilty by faith. Do you guys understand what justification is? Do you guys get that? Because if you don't get that, then you don't understand what Luther fights in just a moment. So justification by faith is the reality that he comes to. He comes to understand that it's only by faith in Jesus, in the gospel of Christ, that we can be saved. And this is paramount because all of a sudden, do you know what Luther starts to do? He starts to look around at all the teachings of the church. Now, let me get, again, let me get y'all back into it. What are some of the things that the church is teaching? What's one of them that they're telling people to, to do? What is it? Purgatory. And because there's purgatory, hey, you got to do something about that. You need to buy something. What do you need to buy? An indulgence. Now, that's the biggest one that just looks at Luther face to face. And Luther sees it, and it's ugly. Because at that time, there's this guy named Johann Tetzel. Tetzel, that's his name. Not pretzel, but Tetzel. But he does twist the scriptures a lot like the twist in a pretzel. At that time, the Pope decides he wants the greatest uh, cathedral or a basilica built of that time. He wants the greatest one ever to be built. He wants St. Peter's Basilica to be built. He wants it to be done, but man, the cost for this thing is going to be through the roof. So, he gets the best car salesman priest that he can, which is Tetzel, and he says, I'm going to give you a special indulgence. I'm going to write up a special indulgence. We're going to seal it with the Roman Catholic Church's seal of approval, stamp of approval, and you're going to go around and sell this thing and we're going to raise money for the Basilica. Tetzel had a special indulgence. This is what Tetzel's indulgence said. Honest to goodness. It said that if you bought his indulgence, when you die, you get to skip purgatory altogether. If you buy my indulgence, if you buy my indulgence, you don't have to go to purgatory. Straight to heaven you go. And you know what? If you buy my indulgence and if you want to like give it to somebody, guess what? Straight to heaven they go. I know that Logan is such a terrible sinner and he hangs out with nothing but terrible sinners and he knows a lot of sinners who are in purgatory right now because Logan's so awful. Logan, if you buy my indulgence on behalf of one of those people that's in purgatory, guess what? They get to go straight to heaven. He had a slogan. He said, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Man, best car salesman priest there was. And here's the thing. He's going around and he's promoting this bill of goods. He's selling these indulgences. And people are buying them at an alarming rate. Man, the money is just flowing into the church. They're raising so much money. And Tetzel's going all over, and he's making sure that everyone knows he's got a special indulgence. Hey, uh, Pope, why don't you make me some more? Because I just sold out. I'm over here. I need some more to go to the next city. I mean, going like hotcakes. Because the promise of heaven is in the sheet of paper. Now, Luther looks at what Tetzel's doing. He doesn't just look at Tetzel, he looks at the whole landscape of it. But he sees Tetzel, recognizes what he's doing, and he says, wait a minute. Justification isn't by indulgences, it's not by relics. Justification isn't by anything else other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is what he does. Luther, still everyone's favorite teacher, Luther does this. Luther makes his own sheet of paper. He starts writing down 
things that he sees in the church that he recognizes these things are going against the Bible. By the way, he was saved by reading the book of Romans. He was saved in the year 1515. By the year 1517, only two years later, two years of being a Christian, two years of being saved, he had seen 95 things in the church that he was blown away with and that went against Scripture. 95 things. And this is what he does. On October 31st, in the year 1517, Luther sparked a controversy. This is what he did. He took his 95 Thesis and he nailed it on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. Now, the door in the picture that you see, that's, that's the Wittenberg church. That's the castle church in Wittenberg. That's modern day. That's what it looks like in today's time. That is actually, it's not the same door because I'm sure they've replaced it by now, but that is the same location, the same castle church in Wittenberg. He went and nailed up his 95 Thesis. Now, is Luther looking to spark a controversy? I don't think so. Luther is a professor. He's a teacher. What he's wanting to do, he's like, listen, I've seen these things. We need to gather together. We need to talk about these things because that's what teachers do, right? Teachers want to say, let's get together. Let's have discussions. Let's talk about these things. Let's come to the right conclusions. He goes and he hangs it up on October 31st, 1517, on All Hallows' Eve, Halloween Day. He goes and hangs it up. Now, why does he do it on that day? Here's the reason why. Because October 31st is what? All Hallows' Eve, or what do we know it as today? Halloween. Halloween. Do you know what November 1st is? All Saints' Day. Yeah, it's All Saints' Day. Here's the thing. On November the 1st, on All Saints' Day, that castle church was going to have the largest collection of relics that it was going to have all year long. And so more people were going to go walking into those doors the next day than there would be any time that year. So he hangs up on October 31st his 95 thesis because he wants people the next day to walk in and to see it. And he's wanting to have a discussion at a later date. Well, people see it. People walk up there and they start reading these 95 things that the church is teaching that this guy named Martin Luther is saying is not in the Bible. And some of Luther's favorite students or some of his students who had him as a favorite professor, man, they take those 95 theses down. We've got to get this thing spread out there. So they use the best, uh, the most advanced resource they have at the time. Gutenberg's printing press was available. And they go and they start making copies of the 95 Thesis. And they start handing them out everywhere. And all of a sudden, everybody can get a hold of a one of the 95 Theses, of Martin Luther's 95 Thesis. Everybody starts realizing something at a pretty alarming rate. Maybe the church hasn't been teaching us the Bible. Guys, I want you to know that almost overnight, because the number one thing in there is about the sale of indulgences, and who do you think he was talking about most? Tetzel. Almost overnight, Tetzel's indulgence sales plummet. And all of a sudden, the bank account of the church gets hurt. And the church does not like it. Now at first, Luther's kind of a hot shot young teacher. They want to try and get him back over on their side. And so what they do is say, hey, we want you to have a uh, we want you to have a, uh, a debate. Have a debate with us. All right? And come on in, and we're going to let you debate some of these points with us. And they pull him in to have a debate, the first official debate of Martin Luther's career, and it was against the biggest hot shot priest they had at the time. Why can I not remember his name? 
uh, I'll remember his name when I'm not around any of y'all. I promise. But they bring him in with the biggest hot shot debater that they've got. And this guy, I mean, he's never lost a debate. He's never met an adversary he can't just destroy. And he goes up with Luther, and Luther waxes the floor with him. Because Luther has been spending years now diving into this book. And when you're on the side of Scripture, <laughs> there's no one who can go against you. You just need to know that. But he believes, the other guy believes, he won the debate. And the church says he won the debate. You want to know why? Because he gets Luther to say, you know what? Jan Hus, the guy y'all killed at the stake, he was actually right. And they said, oh, see, we burned that heretic, Jan Hus, and Luther agrees with the heretic, settled, done. Luther is wrong. The church is right. Well, guess who believed that? Nobody, really. The church really tried to push that, but they couldn't get it through. No one who wasn't in the, the, the pocket of the church, no one on the street level, no one in the academics, no one believed that Luther lost that debate. Luther is writing stuff at a fever pitch, constantly writing down things that he sees in Scripture. And wow, I can't believe that I've missed this for all these years. The church hasn't been... He's writing it down. And finally... Finally, they call him up there and say, you know what, we've got to shut this guy down. We've got to shut him down right now. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to call Luther to a thing called the Diet of Worms. It's a trial in the city of Worms. We're calling him to Worms, and it's spelled Diet of Worms. Honest to goodness, it's spelled Diet of Worms. We're calling him here to the Diet of Worms, and we're not going to let him talk. You want to know why they're not going to let him talk? Because the second he talks, he's going to be talking about this. And the second he starts talking about this, you know what they're going to do? They're going to lose. So they're not going to let him talk. They say, get over here to Worms. We're putting you on trial. So Luther shows up at Worms. This is 1521. Shows up at Worms. And this is the, the whole time, man, Luther's been like courageous. I mean, he's been a Brahma bull. He's been a lion. He hasn't backed down from any fight. But here's the thing. All of a sudden, he's going to be standing in front of princes. He's going to be standing in front of dignitaries. He's going to be standing up against some of the high muckety-mucks. One prince he knew before liked him. It was a guy named Prince Frederick who had been hearing what Luther had to say, and he liked Luther a lot. He was like, Luther, you're making some sense. But other than Prince Frederick, he didn't have anybody else on his side. So he goes in, and he gets up there, and they don't let him talk. They have all of the books that he's written, including the 95 Thesis, on this table in front of him. And he goes and he stands up there and they say, have you written all of these things? Yes. Luther says, I have written all these things. And they say, are you ready to say that every single one of these things is wrong and against the church and against the Bible? Luther's like, well, let me explain. They say, nope. You're not allowed to say anything. Will you recant... Or not. And for the first time, and maybe the only time in Luther's life we see him get scared, he kind of starts to shake. And he says, can I have a little bit of time to think about it? And they kind of look at each other because Luther's scared. We finally got him where we want him. Yeah, take your time. Take your day. Luther goes spends the night in Worms, and comes back the next day. Again, walking up there to that same table, getting the same ultimatum. Will you recant or not? And Luther looks at him, and Luther says this. 
Luther says this, since your imperial majesties and your highnesses demand a simple answer, I will give you one. He says this, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Unless I am convinced these are wrong, I cannot and will not recant. For to go against one's conscience in the Scripture is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. The council, the deity of Worms in 1521, he stands his ground. But here's the thing that Luther did that was brilliant. In front of him is all these dignitaries. What language do you think they're going to speak because they're high and mighty? They're going to be speaking Latin. Back behind him, he's got all these German people who have come to see if Luther's going to stand his ground. Luther gets up there, and this is what he says. He says that speech to them first in Latin. Standing his ground, making sure they know he's not budging from the Word of God. He says it in Latin so they hear it. And before they can rise up to go get him and put him under arrest, at that moment, he starts to give the same speech in the German language. Because guess who's behind him? Germans. And they understand exactly what Luther says. And as soon as he finishes saying it in the German language, the crowd stands up and cheers and applauds. And they go and they grab Luther and they put him up on their shoulders and they walk him out as a hero because finally someone has had the guts to stand up to the church when they've been saying wrong things. And they walk him out as this hero. So the church can't do anything to him there, but they make this big plot. On his way back home, on his way back to Wittenberg, Luther's going to have an accident. He's going to be met by thieves and he's going to be killed. This is the church saying they're going to kill Martin Luther on his way home. But you remember I told you that there was at least one high official there who was on Luther's side. Do you remember what his name was? You remember what his name was? Prince Frederick. Prince Frederick. Prince Frederick found out about the plot. And I'm not kidding you when I say this. When I ask the question, how did Luther escape the church's plot to kill him? Here's what happens. Prince Frederick had him kidnapped before the church could arrest him and take him off to kill him. Prince Frederick had him kidnapped because the church was going to kill him. Guys, think about that for just a moment. Well, I'm kind of at the end of my time, but let me break this down to you. He's kidnapped and he's taken to Wartburg Castle. Okay? Wartburg Castle was a castle that Prince Frederick had access to. He had rights to be there. And he put Martin Luther up there. And while Martin Luther was there, he had one, one thought on his brain. One thought. And you know what it was? The people need this book. Everybody needs the Scripture. And so do you know what he did during that time while he was away, while he was in Wartburg Castle? He was there for about six to eight months, depending on who you read. And for six to eight months, he said, Prince Frederick, I need you to bring me a whole lot of paper, a whole lot of ink, because what he was going to do was he was going to translate the Bible for the first time into the German language. So what did he do during that time he was away? He translated the New Testament in the German language, and he emerged six to eight months later with a New Testament that all of a sudden everybody could read. And he goes out there and he starts handing it out to anyone who would take it. Guys, that's the life of Martin Luther. Now he goes on to do a whole lot of other 
incredible things, crazy things. I'm out of time, though, so we don't have time to jump into any of that. And I really was going to take time at the end also to try and prove to you that it's not just one verse of Scripture that talks about the justification of sin, but it's all over the Bible. I don't have time to do that. But I want you to know, guys, that there are churches even today that tell, that tell you to believe things that aren't in the Bible. There are churches even today. And you guys are not at the same disadvantage that everyone else was in. You guys actually have the Word of God. And if you don't have one, I'll give you one. I'll give you two. We have Bibles that we can have in our own hands today in our own language. You need to be diving into this. Because there are churches out there that will tell you false things even still today. And if you don't know the Word of God, you'll never recognize the precious gift of God's Son that came so that we could be justified not by beatings, not by prayers and suffering, not by uh, doing the right things, but we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Can we pray for us? And we're going to sing declare that gospel. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you and we praise you and we thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. I thank you for your word. I thank you that the Bible is a gift that's given to us, that it's your very word, that it is effective to make new and better disciples of those who are in this room. I pray that you would use even examples like Martin Luther. And Martin Luther is not in the Bible, but he was a man committed to the Bible. And I pray that we would see we would see men like Luther, that we would see the Scripture for what it is, and that, God, we would turn to You and seek after You first and foremost. It's Your Son's name, Jesus, we ask these things and for His sake. Amen.